1: I'm in Clerkenwell in central London. It's a cold, wet, miserable January day, and the light is fading as I arrive at an old industrial building just after four o'clock. I press the buzzer for the legal charity Appeal.
0: Hello. Oh no. Hi, The dog's gone mad. Come on up.
1: Cheers. They're expecting me, and I make my way up the staircase and walk into a busy office space. Hello. Hello. I'm here because news has broken that Andrew Malkinson, a man who spent 17 years in jail, has had his case referred to the Court of Appeal. The announcement came from the Criminal Cases Review Commission, the CCRC for short, who have the power in this country to ask the higher courts to re look at cases. They say its experts have obtained a DNA profile on the victim's clothing that matched another man.
2: My name is Andrew Malkinson. I was accused of raping a woman in Greater Manchester, which I was completely innocent of, and I spent the last 17 and a half years, until the end of 2020, in prison for it, on a life life sentence. I could have been released after six years, but they wouldn't release me because I wouldn't, basically because I wouldn't make a false confession.
1: And now, his case is going back to court. You're listening to 17 Years, the Andrew Malkinson Story, a podcast brought to you by The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Will Rowe, a producer at The Sunday Times. This is a series about how one man spent almost two decades in jail for a crime he says he didn't commit. Despite trying repeatedly to clear his name, he remains a convicted sex offender. This is an update, part seven, a breakthrough. You might be wondering why I'm presenting this episode and not Emily Dugan. Well, since we made this podcast series together, Emily's moved to another newspaper. So for now, as her producer, I'm stepping in. It's worth a quick reminder of Andy's case and what we identified as potential flaws in his conviction – Andy was found guilty in 2004 after a woman had been raped and left for dead by a motorway embankment in Salford in the summer of 2003. When making the series, what stood out for me was that there was never any of Andy's DNA at the scene. Also, during his trial, two key prosecution witnesses came forward to say they saw him on the night of the attack. but. This couple had 16 convictions for 38 offences between them, including for dishonesty, something the jury were not told at the time. And the victim had always said she scratched the man on the face during the attack. But when police saw Andy the next day, there were no marks on his face. On top of this, he didn't fit key parts of the description of the attacker and had no previous for violence or sexual assault. Now, here's a recap of Emily's investigation.
2: Bang, bang, bang. It's the police. We're arresting you for attempted murder and rape.
0: It was a really horrific rape, early hours of the morning.
2: There's never been any of Andy's DNA found. Where's the evidence? Well, you've got rid of it, haven't you? The victim telling the jury that she was, quote, more than 100% certain it was him the description and everything else. None of it matched me. Both sightings lasted mere seconds. And yet what they said to the jury was, we are absolutely sure that it was Andy.
0: But without putting blame on the victim, could she have been mistaken? It is the criminal justice system that sets up these procedures that are flawed to begin with.
2: In four different areas, there was DNA, which did not belong to Andy.
0: Was there ever any indication to you that he was capable of anything violent?
3: No, not at all. No.
0: And nobody ever saw you with a scratch on your face?
2: No, because I didn't have any.
0: It's poor policing pre-trial. It was poor policing in terms of the evidence that was presented at trial. And now it's poor policing in post-conviction proceedings. What would you have liked to have done with that time?
2: I just like to live my humble little life. My needs were simple. I I would have just enjoyed working where I could and traveling when I'd saved enough money. What harm was I doing?
1: When we last spoke, you were speaking with Emily Dugan for the Sunday Times on the podcast. Yeah. We made that podcast series back in 2021. How, How have you been since then? Since
2: then, I've been struggling to find work, yeah. I've had to take up minimum wage work because, um, you know, nobody wants to employ someone with this kind of conviction around their neck and a life licence, you know. They'll just see you as uh, somebody probably still dangerous even though you're not in prison because of the nature of the, the crimes involved. It's hard to find work.
1: Andy's now 57. It was, in fact, his birthday the other day and his hair seems to have greyed a bit more than when I last saw him.
2: I couldn't even have the interview. so which, That was very disappointing because I thought that would be a nice job. Minimum wage work, the sort, sort of thing that most people don't want to do. Yeah. Mm.
1: He's been out of jail for over two years now after serving his life sentence. Under the terms of his licence, he has to have regular check-ins with the probation service and the police. His lawyer tells me his bank accounts are monitored. He can't stay away overnight or go abroad without the approval from the authorities, to give just a couple of examples. I ask, how is Christmas and New Year were?
2: I went to a bit of a dark place in December, but I found myself feeling isolated. So, yeah, struggling with mental health a lot. But I made it through and I feel a bit better now. It's the new year.
1: We learnt last Tuesday that your conviction for the rape of a woman in Greater Manchester will now be relooked at by the Court of Appeal. Yeah. Where were you when you got the news?
2: I was at my lawyer's house. Yeah, there was a lot of us invested in it, waiting for the email to drop in, so we could all jump on it and see what they said. Because of course, could have gone either way. Yeah. Yeah. And um, everybody sort of whooped when they've got, we got the news. Brilliant result, man. When did you know that you were going to
1: expect the email? That you'd been given a heads up a few days before, or was it?
2: We got the heads up that we were going to give it. They were going to give us a, some, res- a some, response.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. The response
1: Andy's talking about is the CCRC's response to his application that his case be considered for referral. That was lodged back in May
2: of 2021. And so then I went down and stayed with my lawyer for a bit, for a few days, and plan to make it into a sort of a long weekend, wait for the results. What did you feel at that moment? Um, I felt finally vindicated because I've always felt, you know, some people might still have doubts. They might listen to me, but then harbour doubts. But I think this makes it much, much harder to harbour doubts now because it's such a powerful result. How are they going to come back from that? It's It's hard to say. This isn't the first time you've been
1: to the Court of Appeal. Yeah. It happened a long time ago, just after you were convicted. How do you feel about the prospect of your case being heard again?
2: Well, yeah, once been. I mean, I've I've had so many knockbacks. On the one hand, trepidation, because you can never second guess what decision makers at this level are going to say. On the other hand, I'm hopeful. The fact that you're going to the
1: Court of Appeal on the basis of DNA evidence this time around, because of the scientific aspect of that and the fact that you were convicted mainly on eyewitness identification. Yes. Are you more confident now that the Court of Appeal will
2: quash your conviction? It's hard to imagine anybody not overturning it, because we've got powerful evidence now that didn't exist. Well, it did exist. That that aspect of the evidence was undetectable, I suppose, right at the beginning. But um, it could have been detected earlier. But, yeah, I'm glad the science has proven so powerful. And to me, it's incontrovertible. You know, you just have to be creative to the point of ridiculousness to explain it any other way than the right way.
1: Did you ever believe that it would get back to the Court of Appeal? Uh,
2: I'm not sure if I believed it, but I thought, well, I'm going to damn well fight tooth and nail as long as I have to and if it means fighting to the end of my days then so be it because I can't have lies hanging over me I can't have lies defining me that's something I'm not I, I, that won't that won't stand I can't have that so you have no choice in a way you know it's a horrible thing to be put through but there is no choice but to fight if it's wrong
0: yeah it was a very good moment. And it's one of those moments where you almost don't trust what you're reading with your eyes.
1: That's Emily Bolton, the director at Appeal, the legal charity that's been helping Andy. She's telling me about last week when the email came through. Actually, Andy had to read
0: it twice it was because it was a cover note that said, you know, find attached CCRC's decision, uh, something like to refer the case to the Court of Appeal. And, of course, you, you're sort of rereading it to refer, yeah. to refer, not not to refer And then he just kind of leant back from the computer we were looking at. And we could hear a lot of shrieking coming down the line on Zoom from our colleagues in London. And yeah, it was pretty incredible.
1: What exactly has happened? This new DNA has come to light. And this is why the Criminal Case Review Commission has referred this to the Court of Appeal to be looked at again? Is that your understanding?
0: Yes. So two years ago, we presented the Criminal Cases Review Commission with DNA evidence that showed that a man other than Andy and other than the victim's partner's DNA was present at crime-specific locations on the evidence. The CCRC have now checked this evidence.
1: Why has it taken so long? We're sitting here in 2023 for this to um, go to the Court of Appeal.
0: I don't understand why it's taken so long. Obviously, I recognise that the CCRC will want to check that the testing that we presented is credible but it certainly shouldn't have taken this long.
1: In a statement to this podcast, the CCRC flagged that following appeals application in May of 2021, the CCRC carried out a detailed forensic review of this case and instructed experts to undertake further DNA testing. They added that the CCRC proceeded to make and issue its decision as quickly as possible after receiving the results of this testing and the National DNA Database Search, whilst ensuring that it did not compromise any inquiries being carried out by Greater Manchester Police. Now, back to the Appeal Court...
0: So the next steps are for grounds to be lodged on Andy's behalf by counsel. Timelines in the Court of Appeal on an ordinary case seem to be about nine to 12 months, but we very much hope that the Crown Prosecution Service and GMP will join us in applying to the court to have this conviction quashed under these circumstances.
1: That leads me on to my next question, really. What are the outcomes that Andrew may get when he goes to the Court of Appeal? He's not being tried again, is he? It's a... It's, it's looking at the whether the conviction is safe. Is that is that the way of looking at it?
0: So uh, th- this hearing that Andy has been granted at the Court of Appeal is an opportunity to, for him to present fresh evidence that shows his conviction is unsafe. Now, unsafe is the legal term. Andy has always maintained his innocence. But th- technically, the legal term is that the Court of Appeal will be addressing whether or not they find the conviction to be unsafe based on this fresh evidence. And the outcomes of that hearing are that the court could quash the conviction, could uphold the conviction, or could quash the conviction and leaving open the option for a retrial.
1: And you're obviously hoping that they simply quash the conviction.
0: Absolutely.
1: Is there a little bit of you that worried that it may not go the way you want it to go?
0: When the Court of Appeal hear this evidence, I really, really hope that that they do the right thing. We can't have total faith in this broken system, but I think the evidence that is now available is so strong that he does have reason to hope.
1: I'm Tony Gallagher, the editor of The Times. I have the very best job in journalism, My team endeavours every day to bring you the best stories, the most incisive commentary, topical features, beautifully illustrated with award-winning photographs. But we can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Last week, there was also an update from Greater Manchester Police. They confirmed that a 48-year-old man from Exeter was arrested on the 13th of December last year on suspicion of the rape of a woman in Greater Manchester in July 2003 after new DNA evidence was discovered. It's the same rape for which Andy was convicted. This new suspect has been released under investigation I asked the force why they reopened the case and if they had any more information on the suspect. They told me in a statement, they'll continue to assist and cooperate with the CCRC's review of this case and added that following the discovery of new DNA evidence, a full forensic review is now taking place. But how does Andy feel?
2: I was very happy, yeah. There has to be a reason why they 've arrested, and it's it has to be the that there 's a DNA match, so I feel doubly vindicated uh, by that news.
1: Greater Manchester Police have confirmed that suspect was arrested in December of last year on suspicion of the same crime that Andrew was convicted for in 2004.
0: That's my understanding from the materials that Greater Manchester Police have released publicly but we have no detailed information on that because obviously it's an ongoing investigation and obviously none of us want to jeopardise that.
1: Journalist Emily Dugan and the Sunday Times and our podcast series have been highlighting this case since 2020. What message do you have for readers and listeners of the Sunday Times?
0: Andy doesn't just wanna exonerate himself in the courts of law, he wants to be exonerated in the court of public opinion, and podcasts like this are absolutely vital to achieving that. Three judges will make up their minds as to whether they consider his conviction unsafe. That won't make any difference to whether Andy is innocent or not. He's innocent, he knows he's innocent, but, but what will matter most for the rest of his life is that people that he meets day to day know that he is a man who was wrongfully convicted, who didn't commit this crime and who has been telling the truth from the very beginning.
1: As we sit here now, you do remain convicted yeah. of a sex offence. That's, that's right. How does that sit with you?
2: It's horrible to have it remain over my head until they can find a way to make a decision, because I certainly won't stop if they refuse. You know, it's one of the worst offences you can be accused of. Probably the or the second most. It's horrible. It's just it's just vile and untrue. And what do you do? You just you've got no choice but to put the record straight. If your conviction
1: is quashed. What does life then look like for Andrew Malkinson?
2: Uh-huh, yeah. My conviction is quashed. I probably immediately go on holiday because I won't need to ask anybody's permission and go and visit my friends in Holland, probably to start with. Yeah.
1: Andrew Malkinson's case is now due to be heard by the Court of Appeal. There is currently no confirmed date for this, but his lawyers hope it will be this year. You've been listening to an update of 17 years, the Andrew Malkinson story with me, Will Rowe. It's brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. The series and original journalism is by Emily Dugan and produced by me with assistance from Brenna Daldorf. The executive producers are Poppy Damon, Lynn Jones and Kate Ford with original music and sound design by Tom Birchall. To listen to the full original series, just search for 17 years, the Andrew Malkinson story, wherever you get your podcasts. And we've added links to those in the description notes of this episode.